0: Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Rich, as Mike said, and I'm going to be taking us through this morning uh, the last part uh, of our City Adventures uh, series. Um, It's a series that we've been looking at together over the last kind of five weeks uh, or so, Um, and during a time of transition as a church, as we've been settling in uh, to our new venue, our new location, and what it looks like for us to be here at the MAC, and we really felt it was important that as a church, uh, we don't just look inwards during that time. But actually, we take a moment, uh, we look upwards and we look outwards. We uh, come together again and see what it is to enjoy God together and to enjoy the adventure that he has called us to in this city. And so every week we've started in the same place and we started with Jeremiah's uh, call to the exiles in Babylon uh, in Jeremiah 29 verses 4 to 7 and what he says to them about how they are to live in the place where God has placed them. Uh, And this is what he writes. He says, "'This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage.'" so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And we've seen over the past few weeks um, that we're called to an adventure in this city, this city which is capable of such heartwarming beauty and such heartbreaking brokenness. And yet we've also seen that uh, when we get hold of the scope of the adventure before us, the scale of God's heart to see Birmingham transformed, two things become clear immediately. Firstly, that we need to change if we're going to play our parts more effectively, and secondly, that we can't do it all on our own. See, when we realise our call to the city, when we truly love the city, when we're committed to working to prosper the city's welfare, when we are absolutely massive on peace in the city, we will desire for this city far more that is within our power to give. And because of that, it will cause us to pray. It will cause us to pray that we might love the city more. It will cause us to pray for the prosperity and the welfare of the city. It will help us to celebrate in the good and work and strive to improve the bad. It will cause us to pray for peace and that we might be bringers of peace in the unique situations where we've been placed throughout the week. That's what we're praying for, for everything that we've been looking at together over the last few weeks. And this morning, we're going to go a little bit deeper into what it is to pray for those things by looking again at why we pray and how we pray. And Jesus teaches a lot about prayer in the Gospels, but nowhere more clearly, I think, than when he gives his disciples a model, a pattern for prayer, uh, for praying in in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Uh, And this is how Luke records it. He says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. And the two versions in Matthew and Luke are are slightly different. Uh, Luke's is probably the the less well-known of the two, but it's got kind of a stripped-back, and acoustic simplicity, if you like, that I think makes it incredibly helpful for us. And so to begin with, I just want to draw out three things that help us understand the importance of prayer. Uh, relationship, rule and reign, and reliance. And we've already seen something of those things this morning in our worship time. And each of them is about how prayer is a reminder and a call for us to change and for us to listen to what God has to say to us. It's a call to allow God to change our lives and to seek him for lives to change around us. Uh, Richard Foster, uh, in his book, A Celebration of Discipline, writes this about prayer. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. To pray is to change. It's to seek God for something or someone and recognize that in that moment, there's a very good chance that God will speak to us and ask us to be the answer to the prayer that we've just prayed. It's to change our perspective again on relationship, on rule and reign, And on reliance is to say, I believe that there is more than this. Whatever that more is for you is to to pray, to seek God, is to say, I believe that whatever that more is, there is more. God says there is more for you in this place, in this situation, in this thing that you're seeking him for. There is more. And at its heart, um, this prayer um, Jesus' prayer uh, is one that reveals a relationship. And, and Luke's version cuts straight to the heart of that. And it's not the, the slightly more grand, slightly more impressive, our Father who art in heaven. It is just simply Father. Father. One word, but a lifetime to plumb the depths of that relationship and what it means for us. Not a distant God, but a loving Father who speaks to us today, who desires a relationship with us. I know that uh, every family uh, has their different traditions uh, for how they do Christmas uh, together. But uh, on Christmas Day in the Bopit Pit household, um, or at least when uh, my sister and I were a little bit younger, we had a particular tradition. Um, and what we would do is at about 10 to 8 in the morning, we would wake up, and which I know is, is far, far later uh, than some people in this room will, will get up. We were very well um, disciplined as children, 10 to 8, that was it. We would go down, d- downstairs, we would make a cup of tea for our mum and our dad. Uh, we would bring them upstairs. I know, I'm giving some parents in the room some ideas here. <laughs> so we'd, we'd make them a cup of tea, we'd bring it upstairs, we'd collect our stockings on the way, see that yes, Father Christmas had been, and then we would knock on the door, we'd walk in, and we would climb into the middle of the bed. Uh, mum on one side, uh, Dad on the other side, and we'd be there, and we'd open our first few gifts uh, together. Um, and although we are we're getting a bit big to do that now, um, my sister is married as well, her husband's about six foot tall, I don't think he would fit either, I don't know how that would work. Um, things are, are looking a little bit different these days. Um, but... That is the nature of the relationship that we have with God when we come to pray. We get to jump right in to the middle. We get to be enveloped on all sides by the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit invites us not to stand on the sidelines, but to jump right into the middle of the bed. That's the kind of access we have when we come to pray. It's an access that when we make the most of it, deepens our understanding of that reality of our relationship with God. We're not any more or any less a son or daughter of God at the end of a prayer than at the beginning. But it's a way for us to open the eyes of our hearts to enjoy that relationship more. I'm a son to my parents. That is something that is true every single second of every single day. And yet when I set aside specific times, when I go and visit them, when I spend time with them, when I hang out with them and have fun and enjoy their company, you know, it doesn't change that reality, I'm, I'm still their son, but it enhances it. Prayer doesn't change the fundamental status of our relationship with God, beloved sons and daughters, but it opens us up to understand and enjoy the depths of that relationship. Second thing, rule and reign. Even as we come to a loving father, as we've heard this morning, we come in awe of who he is. We come to the king. We come in recognition of who he is, of what he has done and what he will do. We recognize that he is our king. He is the one who rules and reigns over all creation in all those beautiful, wonderful ways that Adrian expressed in our worship time. He is the one who upholds everything by the power of his word. And that because of that, there is power in our prayers. When we speak to God, it is much more like a soldier on a wartime walkie-talkie speaking to their commanding officer than it is a guest lounging in a hotel ordering room service. God is much more like our commanding officer than a butler. He is wonderful. He is our father. He is glorious and gracious, but he is also our king. He's a good king. And we've heard over this series that wherever we've been uniquely placed, we are on the front line of bringing God's kingdom in that situation of loving the city, of seeking its prosperity, of working for its peace in the big moments and the small Prayer reminds us that our Father, who is willing, rules and reigns in every situation. He is powerful and able to answer prayer. When we pray, we open ourselves up to the reality of who God is. We say, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You're the Prince of peace. You're the bread I don't know if you noticed on on your way in, there's a a sign outside that has a few of the different names of God on it. That's the God we worship. Maybe on your way out, you might want to stop and have a look at it. These are some of the things it says. It says that he is the most high, infinite sovereign. It says that he is the majestic creator, the miraculous Messiah, the all-sufficient provider, the righteous conqueror the magnificent patient trustworthy faithful holy god that's the one we pray to hallowed be his name when we pray we open ourselves up to the reality of who he is the god who is able to do more than we ask or imagine so relationship rule and reign and the third reason we pray uh, reliance Jesus says uh, in verse three of that passage we looked at a minute ago, uh, give us each day our daily bread. And notice how he emphasizes uh, that daily approach twice. Uh, even his, in his kind of stripped back acoustic version of this prayer, um, he still has time to focus twice uh, on that daily thing. Each day our daily bread. And Jesus isn't just saying that because he really likes bread and he wants us to eat it every day. He's saying it, although I'm sure maybe he does. I don't know. <laughs> He's probably saying, though, he wants us to put into practice through our prayers the lesson that God has been trying to teach his people all the way through the Bible, right from the very start, the lesson that they can rely on him to provide for them each and every day. And we see it Uh, In the Old Testament, and particularly in the the moment of the story where the Israelites um, had just been rescued from slavery in Egypt, and they were wandering around in the desert and grumbling about a lack of food, and God sends a miraculous provision. He sends manna from heaven. All they have to do uh, when they wake up in the morning and come out of their tents is go outside and collect um, the bread that has has appeared. It's fallen from the sky. And uh, there was only one condition. God only asked them, For one thing, he said, go out each day and collect only what you need for that day, except on the day before the Sabbath. So on that day, you can really just focus on me. But every other day, go out and collect only what you need for that day. And so they do that. And the next day, more bread. And they do it again. And the next day, more bread. And a few of them disobey. And the bread goes moldy as God said it would. But each and every day, the Israelites wake up and they find that God has provided again what they needed. And you know, God could have made the bread that he sent long life. You know, if Tesco can do long life bread, I'm sure God can do it as well. He could have done one miracle that would last. He could have said, here it is, 40 years' worth of bread... (laughs) pack it up, load it on the wagons, take it round with you. But he doesn't do that. He keeps sending it each and every day. He keeps asking his people to come and receive it each and every day. And I think it's quite similar, in a way, to how we see uh, babies growing up. And by all accounts, when I was very young, I was a little bit of a terror um, I used to store food in my cheeks like a hamster. It was one particularly um, bad habit. But thankfully, my parents were able to iron out some of those flaws in time. Uh, The thing is, though, the thing about babies is that God, who created and designed everything in the universe, could have made them very differently. He could have made it so that when babies arrived in the world, uh, they needed three square meals a day. He could have made it so that they had functioning bowels from day one. He could have made it so that they arrived in the world already knowing appropriate social decorum. He doesn't do any of those things, um, much as I'm sure some of us in this room very much wish that he might have done. The reason he doesn't make it like that is because he knows that the deepest relationships are formed not in the place of self-sufficiency, but in the place of reliance. He keeps babies reliant on their parents. He keeps them needing more because that is the place where the deepest bond of relationship is formed. There is nothing like the relationship between a parent and their child because it's one built on intimacy. It's one built on reliance and dependency. And it's the same with God. He wants us to keep coming to him each and every day, not because he's needy, not because he he wants attention or anything like that, but because he wants us to know that we can trust him to provide what we need each and every day. And it's in that place that our relationship with him will grow. It's in that place that we'll understand more of the power and the authority that is in him that is at work in us. And I'm increasingly learning that a big part of what it is to be a Christian, to grow as a Christian, is to understand that God is good and that I can rely on him each and every day for what I need. And sometimes I know I feel too much pressure to look for the long term, to think, what am I going to be doing? How am I going to be living in a year's time, five years' time, 50 years' time? The message that Jesus wants us to get. The message of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples is that we don't need to. What we need to do is come each and every day, knowing that our Father who loves us will provide what we need. The one who is always faithful, who always keeps his promises, will always provide. So prayer reminds us of our relationship. It reminds us that he is the one who rules and reigns. It reminds us that we can rely on him each and every day. To pray is to change, is to change our hearts, is to call on God to bring about change in the places we've been uniquely placed. When we pray, we draw near to God. The closer we come to him, the closer we come to his heart, the more we see our need, the more we desire to be transformed to be like Jesus. And so that's why we pray. That's why we seek him. That's why we give time as a church and as individuals to seeking God more. And so that's why we do it. But how do we do it? And it sounds on the surface quite a simple question. Anyone who's been in a school assembly um, will know that it's easy. You just uh, put your hands together, you close your eyes, and you pray, and that's it. And yet when we look again at that passage from Luke, what it says right at the start is that Jesus was praying and the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, these were were people who had grown up in a Jewish tradition. They would have grown up praying, knowing the scriptures. They they knew how to pray. And yet, when they saw Jesus praying, there was something about the the quality of Something about the nature of his prayer life that made them realize, we need to know more about this. We're getting hungry for the kind of intimacy and relationship that you have, Jesus. And it's the same for us too. We need to learn more about what prayer is and how we do it. Because on one hand, it is beautifully simple. Anyone at any time can pray doesn't need any special special qualifications or in-depth training. Um, and yet, on the other hand, it's clear from the exa- example of the disciples there is a learning process involved in going deeper. And that's not a heavy thing. That's a freeing thing. It's a thing that enables me to stand up today um, in a room and, and speak about prayer, even though there are many people in this room far more qualified than I am to talk about prayer, but it enables me to do that because if prayer is a learning process, it's a journey that we can go on together. It's something we can learn from God and from one another as we go. We shouldn't expect ourselves to be expert prayers from day one, but we can know that with practice, we can improve the quality, the quantity of our prayer lives. Like a river finding its way to the shore... With time, We can learn to identify those things that are blockages in our lives. We can work our way through them. And so to help with that, we're going to look at four different themes uh, that we've picked up on a bit in our City Adventures series so far. Um, about how we are to persist in prayer, how we've been placed to pray, how we prosper in prayer, and how there is peace in prayer. And if you're anything like me, uh, you'll quickly want to zero in on some cold, hard numbers. You'll want to know, okay, that's all well and good, but how often exactly do I need to pray? What is the exact amount of time I should be giving each day uh, to pray? And unfortunately, the Bible uh, is in one sense not particularly helpful uh, on this, because if we look at different verses, we get a very different impression. And so uh, we might start with a verse like 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, uh, which says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Uh, and in that case, it's, it's talking more about money, but the principle here is similar. Um, give what you can. Give what you are able. If you've got 10 minutes, give 10 minutes. Um, sounds good, right? Uh, but then if we're, if we're doing that, if we're matching it to giving, um, doesn't Numbers eighteen twenty-six a verse I'm sure you're all familiar with, say that we should give 10% as a tithe. And if we're, we're equating the two and there are 1,440 minutes in a day, uh, shouldn't we be giving 10% of that? Shouldn't we be giving 144 minutes a day? Two hours and 24 minutes. And suddenly that's all starting to get a little bit steep, isn't it? Martin Luther um, the great reformer, famously said that he had so much to do, he he couldn't get on unless he gave three hours a day to prayer. Um, I don't feel like that often. 2.24, that sounds steep, let alone three hours. Um, And then we might end up with a verse like Ephesians 6, verse 18. And when Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, to always keep on praying, it's not even enough To give two hours and 24 minutes, we've got to do it every minute of every day. The message of the Bible is that there is no set formula for how long you need to pray. As much as that might make it easy for us to do, it's because God is always wanting to draw us more into those things we looked at earlier. There's no set time for how it's going to do that. We're to persist in prayer. We are to keep going, to keep knocking at the door, Because Jesus promises, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. And when we get that the primary purpose of prayer is not necessarily to get the thing that we're praying for, it's to get the one that we're praying to. When we pray from that place, we can be filled with the confidence that our loving, powerful Father cares about the things that we're praying for, and even in that moment, is ready and willing to respond in order to bring them to fruition. He wants good things for us and for our city. In fact, he wants them more even than we do. And so we keep praying. We keep daring to believe that all his promises are indeed true, and they're all there for us to enjoy. Second thing, we are placed uh, to pray. And so whether you're here today, because you're visiting Birmingham for a day, whether you're here for a season in your life if you're studying or or something like that, or whether you've committed to this city for the long haul, you have an opportunity today, we've done it already this morning, to stand in the midst of this place and seek God on its behalf. Uh, Paul says in Acts 17 uh, that God made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each one of us. God knew that you would be here today. He has put you here in this place today because he knows the best conditions for you to seek him and find him because he's not far away. The places we live, work, shop, study, train, recover, rest, enjoy, they're not random. They're all part of God's plan. Do you know this morning that he could have put you at any point in history, at any place in the world, any city or nation in any time that has ever been or ever will be. And yet he chose to put you here in 21st century Birmingham, because this is the place when you are best suited to find him and reveal him to those around you. Do you know that this morning? Do you live in that when you go out in this place? I'm here Because this is the best place God has picked this moment for me to live and speak and work and be with him, knowing that he is not far away. We have been placed to pray. Third thing, uh, we're to prosper in prayer. Over the past uh, couple of hundred years, the church uh, has gotten used to praying in a, a kind of newfangled, modern way which is very different to how Christians used to pray in the past. Uh, And our new modern technique is that we are kind of really quiet, we're really huddled in, Um, we make it such a a, a, a solemn occasion, and we come with bowed heads. And at the same time, we've come to see prayer as being really very burdensome. Um, And it's true that that prayer can be a moment of, of somber and solemn reflection, But it can't be only that. Maybe we need to get back to praying in the more traditional way. Um, Praying boldly, hands lifted high, hearts to heaven, declaring the goodness of God. Maybe our kind of new modern techniques aren't quite as good as they had it in the past. As a church, uh, we call our prayer meetings the boiler room because we see them as being at the heart the core of everything that we're doing together our desire for them is that once you've been to one you would never want to miss another one that's the kind of confidence and expectation we need to have when we pray that god is really here he's really here and he really wants to meet with us in every moment and on every occasion and when paul writes about prayer in ephesians he says pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. How we prosper in prayer is not by following a a one-size-fits-all model. It's by praying creatively. It's by giving ourselves to explore prayer, to learn, knowing that sometimes we're going to get it right and sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Individually and as a community, learning from one another as we go. Fourthly and finally, And my last thing, there's peace in prayer. As we journey through life, as we encounter uncertainty, as we see more and more the need and distress of the city around us, God's heart is not that we would be overwhelmed by anxiety. Rather, it is that we would know that he is not far. He is near to each one of us. And so we bring our prayers and our requests to him constantly built on a foundation of thanksgiving. We're to find moments uh, in the day, as we're fond of saying as a church, to pause, to stop what we're doing, to center on him again, to continue in the light of that, reminded once again of who he is and what he's done. When we pray, we're to find peace. We're to be filled with the peace of God We're to be empowered to bring peace wherever we've been uniquely placed. And so that's how we pray. We're to persist in prayer. We're placed to pray. We can prosper in prayer and there's peace in prayer. The invitation for each of us is to embrace this call today. This call to adventure in the city. This call we've been looking at to increase and not decrease, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city in all that we do and to pray for it. And as we come to the end of this series that we've been looking at together, the invitation is to go out called, commissioned to be those people of hope, those people who bring salt and light, colour and flavour to each individual circumstance. To seek him for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, for our city. We are not individuals on a lonely planet, hurtling through space, shouting at the darkness. We are the people of God. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We are called to this place, at this time, in this moment, to be part of his adventure, to reveal his kingdom in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. And so the question this morning is, are you in? Are you up for it? Are you going to be someone who gives yourself to seeking the welfare, the peace of this city? Are you going to give yourself to praying knowing that even as you pray God is calling you to become the answer to your prayer in each of the situations you find yourself why don't we stand together Um, and I wonder um, if we just close our eyes for a moment and not because it's a a magical thing that uh, transports us immediately anywhere else, just so that we don't get distracted by those around us. I wonder if you are in this morning, whether um, you've given your life to Jesus before um, or not. When we come today, I wonder if you're going to commit yourselves to working to love the city, to seeking the peace of the city, to seeking the welfare of the city, to praying for the city. I wonder if you could just raise your hand just as a declaration now to say, Jesus, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I want to respond to you in this moment. And I want to say, use me now in this place that you've placed me. Jesus, come. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me to go out this week to bring your kingdom, to reveal your rule and reign, to live in relationship with you and in reliance on you, wherever you have uniquely placed me, knowing that this is the moment you want me to be in. Because this is the moment I get to know you and reveal you. And Jesus, we pray for every person this morning. Who have stepped out and we say, Lord, fill us as we go out this week. Help us to know you more. Help us to give ourselves to you again. Help us to seek the prosperity and peace and love of this city and all that we do and help us to pray in a way that causes others to say, I want some of that. I'm hungry to know more of who this Jesus is. Be with us this week and on what amen